Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it, now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Well, good morning to you. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It is good to have you aboard. We've got a nice show lined up for you today. You know it's a great show when we have Kersenow ready to rock and roll, and he will be here at 1010 this morning. He missed us last week, and we missed him. Uh, he was traveling, but uh, he is ready to make up for that absence by being doubly awesome today. But before we talk to Pete at 1010 this morning, we're actually going to have another guest. First-timer, Dave Seminara, or Seminara, perhaps, is a writer and a former diplomat. He is also the host of the DeSantis Land podcast. Um, he is obviously a huge supporter. He lives in Florida, and he's a huge supporter of the former governor, or excuse me, of the current governor of the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis, and a guy who's expected to announce his candidacy, perhaps by the end of this week in the presidential race, joining yesterday's uh, announcement by Tim Scott as a new uh, a new entrance into the Republican free-for-all that is going to be a very, very interesting primary. So we're going to talk today some seminar, but we're actually not talking about DeSantis per se. He's the host of that, like I said, but he wrote a piece for the City Journal, uh, which was very, very interesting, about book banning. And basically asking the question, has anybody that has complained 
and accused, while well, Ron DeSantis in Florida, but this is not just a Florida-centric problem at all, um, that have accused anybody who has tried to remove pornographic literature from school libraries and school shelves and book and uh, and classroom shelves. Um, they call them book banners or book burners. Has anybody actually looked inside these books to see what's in them? He wrote a very in-depth piece for City Journal, headlined, Have You Looked Inside Any of These Books? And the books are very, very interesting. Interesting in a vile sort of way, quite frankly, again, because they are just graphic, pornographic um, texts and illustrations. One is called This Book is Gay. One is called Gender Queer. One is called Let's Talk About It, A Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and Being Human. Uh, another one is called Jack of Hearts. These are all books that are, like I said, straight-up pornographic, that are removed not because of the LGBTQ nature of the sex described and taught and, and, and articulated in those books, but because sex of any kind is inappropriate to be putting inside of young elementary and middle school kids' classrooms. It just makes no sense. Even high schools makes no sense whatsoever. If a kid wants to find pornographic content, he's got a smartphone for that. And I don't mean to say that flippantly. I know it comes off that way. But literally, um, pornography is available on any device that pulls up the Internet anymore. Kids want to find stuff like that. They can and they will. There is no excuse whatsoever for putting it into classrooms. None. Uh, but that's the conversation we're going to have. So that's coming up. Dave Seminar at uh, 9.35, then Pete Kirsten out at 10.10. Then you, uh, whenever you want, at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I've got a lot of news to get into this morning, so let's dive in with our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, please stand. Put your hand on your heart. Face your flag. If you are a believer in pornography in classrooms and perverting the minds of children through indoctrination rather than traditional education, well, then this flag is probably not for you. You can go and instead of pledging your allegiance to it, take a knee next to that unemployed, washed-up quarterback over there. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Lots of news today. We're going to start with that exact same topic. Not the books, per se, but the, uh, you know, what is today? Is the 23rd. So we've only got, uh, what, eight uh, days left of sanity before the month of groom comes along. You do realize that they've officially changed the name, right? All right, maybe not officially, but they should. It now goes January, February, March, April, May, groom, July, August, September, October, November, December. The sixth month is the month of groom now. Uh, I wish we could skip the month of groom and go straight into the month of July, but that's what it is. And I will apologize not for referring to it, uh, to it as that because this is what the quote-unquote pride month has become. It is a month-long, 30-day attempt at indoctrinating and grooming children into bizarre, deviant, sexual lifestyles. Period. Point blank. There is no way to dispute that. And now all of the big grooming uh, plans are being made. And they're being announced. And let's hope that there is the same kind of reaction to them that there was to the Bud Light attempted marketing campaign. 
Bud Light, by the way, things have gotten so bad for them, which means they have gotten so good for decency, that Bud Light is now officially buying back Lord knows how many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cases of unsold Bud Light that is now expired on store shelves. Expired inventory. No one will buy the stuff again. Again, I shouldn't say no one, but you get the point. It's a massive, massive hit to their bottom line. For the entire month of April, sales were down 21.4%. 21.4%. Budweiser, the, of course, the sister of the Bud Light, uh, also dropped by 11.5%. They have lost millions and millions and millions of dollars all because of the boycott uh, that was kind of, again, nobody really organized it in an organized way. It's just that Americans all over this country are sick and tired of seeing LGBT slammed, uh, you know, or shoved down their throats and having, you know, blasted in front of their faces. Everywhere they go, you can't turn around without seeing rainbow this and accept that and blah, blah, blah. But uh, so Bud Light is now so far in debt. I shouldn't say in debt. They have lost so much money. They have gone into the red so much because of this campaign. That's fair to say that nobody's buying the beer or not nearly enough of it to stop it from expiring on the shelves. And so they had to buy it back. Now, I bring that up to bring this up. Let's get into what is coming in the month of groom. In the month of groom, um, Target is ready to go. Target is taking the next step, taking what Bud Light did maybe even to and impossible to understand level. First of all, you may have seen last week, we didn't talk about it because we were we were sidetracked by some other issues. Last week, Target announced the sale of swimsuits for kids and for young teens. Girls swimsuits. And you say, well, France, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing, of course, except for the fact that they're selling girls swimsuits with pouches in them. For girls, apparently, to be comfortable with their male genitalia inside of their girl swimsuits. They are marketing cross-dressing um, garments to kids. That's number one. Now, number two, we come to find this out. That Target's partner for the upcoming Pride Month, known as the Month of Groom, is not only pushing a massive collection of uh, rainbow warrior type of you know uh, products for sale, this individual is more than just a a trans supporter slash promoter slash in your facer. This person is also a Satanist. Wait, what? 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 The designer behind one of Target's brand partnerships for Pride Month has been revealed to have an affinity for Satanism. And this person is bragging about it on social media, saying, I got my stuff into Target. Abpralin, A-B-P-R-A-L-L-E-N, Abpralin, I'm guessing, a brand out of the U.K., is headed by a self-proclaimed, quote, gay transgender man known as Eric um, who has collaborated in the work, collaborations in the works with Target for, um, I'm sorry, who has had a collaboration for roughly a year. But the plans for this upcoming Pride Month, very interesting. The collection includes a sweatshirt that reads, Cure Transphobia, Not Trans People. 
I didn't think that acknowledging that there were only two biological sexes was something that needed to be cured. It's called science. But anyway, a tote bag that reads, too queer for here. This is going to be on the shelves at Target. Too queer for here. And a message pack, messenger pack, whatever that is, that reads, we belong everywhere. And you're thinking, yeah, most of that is pretty benign. It depends on how much you want to have that stuff you know, uh, plastered all over the place so you can't turn around without being hit by it. But among this company and this individual's other apparel are images of pentagrams, horned skulls, and devils. One previous design that it was put out by this particular company that is partnering with Target um, read, Satan respects pronouns. Satan respects pronouns. So, yeah, that's a direct reference, obviously, to the pronoun battle, the pronoun Olympics that they want us to to uh, to go into. And they want us to try to create or, excuse me, to accept all of these created words that don't exist, to try to d- identify one of 75 different genders or 194 of them. I don't even know. But basically the message from this individual whose materials are going to be now on sale at Target is Satan likes it. Satan likes it. Why can't you? Laura Logan responded on Twitter saying, go ahead, Target, you hang with Satan, we'll hang with God instead. And for those of you thinking you can sit this one out, good luck. We'll hang with Satan Satan instead. Target receives massive backlash after woke merchandiser uh, exposed to be a Satanist. So there you go. So just so you know, if you are planning on still targeting or targeting, shopping at Target, uh, just so you know who you're supporting and the kinds of things that you are supporting, whether you intend to or not. That's what's going to be, and you need to know this information. Let's move on. How else? Are they slamming it uh, right in front of all of us uh, throughout the month of groom? The Los Angeles Dodgers. The Los Angeles Dodgers have caved in and gone back to something they originally planned as part of their Pride Night celebration. Uh, They decided to pull the anti-Catholic group, an anti-Catholic drag troop, of queer and trans nuns. They had originally scheduled them to be a part of their Pride Night celebration. Then they pulled it because of huge pushback from normal people. And now that the radical left has gone back at them for daring to pull it back, they've said, okay, we've reversed course yet again. So the Dodgers are now back to welcoming this drag troupe of queer and trans nuns. Less than a week after disinviting the group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, Now, you ponder that. You listen to that name of that group. Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. A move that pleased offended Catholics but upset the LGBTQ organizations, and nobody can upset the LGBTQ organizations. No, 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 no. So the Dodgers announced yesterday they have reconsidered and gone back. Quote, after much thoughtful feedback from our diverse communities, honest conversations with the Dodgers organization, and generous discussions with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the Dodgers would like to offer our sincerest apologies to the sisters, members of the LGBTQ community, and their friends and families. We have asked the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to take their place on the field at our 10th annual LGBTQ Pride Night on Groom 16th. We are pleased to share that they have agreed to receive the gratitude of our collective communities for the life-saving work they have done tirelessly for decades. I don't even know what in the living H that means. The life-saving work they have done, but there it is. 
So that's that's baseball. And and that's the Dodgers. If you think they'll be the only one, you are sadly mistaken because the month of groom must be uh, commemorated by every single team and every single sport and every single corporation all across this country because everybody needs to be told what everybody else feels like. And everybody must acknowledge and recognize what sex or what gender or what sexual orientation or proclivities everybody has. And if you don't recognize it and salute it and stand and cheer, for it you will be canceled that's the reality of it let's bring this closer to home now show your colors on sunday groom 11th from 12 to 3 p.m brought to you by university hospitals the cuyahoga county board of health cleveland clinic the smuckers corporation St. Paul's Episcopal Church, brought to you by those organizations, it's Show Your Colors Plus, the family-friendly fundraiser to support the Colors Plus Youth Center in support of LGBTQ youth. We'll have some amazing and fun family games, awesome raffle baskets, and our annual Pride Walk. Paint a tote with your favorite Pride flag, because there's like about three dozen of them all reflecting different um, gender combinations. Listen to a story at Drag Story Time and celebrate our community's wonderful people and families. Our reproductive health clinic is proud to serve all people. We appreciate the diversity of human beings and do not discriminate based on race, age, religion, language, ability, relationship status, sexual orientation, sex, gender, identity, or immigration status. Please make an appointment. The CCBH Reproductive and Sexual Health Clinic provides confidential care. And this is the money line I'm leading up to. Services to anyone over the age of 13 without a parent parent or guardian. The Cleveland Clinic's Reproductive Health Clinic is proud to serve all people, including 13 years old and above. These are children without a parent or guardian. This is the Reproductive Clinic. Did I mention it was the Reproductive Clinic? It's the Reproductive Clinic. In case I didn't mention it, it's the Reproductive Clinic. So the Board of Health in Cuyahoga County, using your Cuyahoga County dollars, is sponsoring a Pride Fest that will feature drag for kids, drag time story hour for kids, and yes, access to medical consultations if you're 13 or over without a parent or guardian. They will give you confidential care. This is the CCBH Reproductive and Sexual Health Clinic giving you confidential care without parent or guardian knowing if you're the age 13 or age 13 or over. I'm very curious to know how you feel about that. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, 13 and over. This is sponsored by your Cuyahoga County Board of Health. And again, Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, along with others. It's 927. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. We've got a lot to talk about. 
Our first guest uh, is going to be joining me, Dave Seminara. He is going to talk about the books, the pornographic books that are being pulled from the shelves in states all over the country to the chagrin of the, well, I won't call them all Satanists, just the ones that are apparently partnering with Target, but the LGBTQ communities who are outraged over this. We'll talk about that coming up on Always Right Radio. And I'm what it is I should do. It's so hard to keep the smile from my face. Losing control, yeah, I'm all over the place. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Spreading the light of liberty and home against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob Fratt and The Answer. Okay, it's 9.35. Um... I want to make a clarification here. It's uh, it's not too far off, but uh, just want to be 100% clear about this. As we were just discussing what the Cuyahoga County Board of Health is, is supporting and sponsoring, this, uh, this Show Your Colors, quote, family-friendly fundraiser to support LGBTQ youth, it's, uh, LGBTQ youth, et cetera, et cetera, on Sunday, Groom 11th from noon to 3. It is being sponsored by both the Cuyahoga County Board of Health and Cleveland Clinic. However, when I referenced CCBH, I mistakenly said Cleveland Clinic for the CC. That, of course, is Cuyahoga County Board of Health that is offering um, confidential care and consultations, apparently, they say, to anyone over the age of 13 without a parent or guardian. They literally list the phone number and their advertising and promotion of this event, along with their uh, with their nurse line, and they're saying the CCBH, that's Cuyahoga County Board of Health, not Cleveland Clinic, Cuyahoga County Board of Health, Reproductive and Sexual Health Clinic provides confidential care and services to anyone over 13 without a parent or guardian. So I wanted to be super, super clear about that. Now, we're not departing too much from the subject matter at hand, and that is the attempt to overtly sexualize children that is going on all across this country, and it has been driven by the LGBTQ uh, organizations. Uh, Dave Seminara is a writer and a former diplomat and the host of the DeSantis Land podcast with Dave Seminara, uh, which you can find online. He wrote a really interesting piece for the City Journal about these books that we have been discussing and that were, of course, all of the debate and the controversy over their, their removal from bookshelves in Florida and around the country. What is really in those books? And uh, Dave Seminar joins us now to talk about exactly that. Dave, good to have you on our program this morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I, I read uh, your article last night. I stumbled across it. I don't even remember where. It was on Twitter or something. But uh, but I read it, and it's it's really important that people understand this, what is in some of these books. But before we get into the details that you discovered by doing the work, you went into the libraries, pulled the books, and, and took some excerpts to, to really inform people of what's going on. Let's talk mm-hmm. about book banning in general. Why is it that we seem to think that in our culture, and maybe it's because of book burning gone you know, in the past or something, but why is it that anything that is bound by a cover is deemed to be untouchable? Since when do books, you know, have we, have we rendered upon them uh, you know, an untouchable status that if it's a book, it cannot be banned? If somebody writes something and binds it, then it must be allowed, uh, regardless right. of what the content is. Right. It's, it's, uh, it is ironic because when the Motion Picture Association of America and the organizations that rate television shows, if they rate it, if they rate a show PG-13 
or R or X, no one says, oh, well, they're banning that movie or they're banning that show, do they? <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, we don't have that same sort of rating system for books. And therefore, you know, the left and the Democrats and the media have done a very good job of sort of distorting exactly what's going on here. And they're calling them book bans. But, you know, I thought, you know, if these books are truly banned, well, really, then it would be hard for me to, to get them here in Florida, right? But as it turns out, not difficult to get them at all. No, and, and, and that's that's kind of the point here. They all, of course, they're arguing, well, you want to make it difficult. That's the point of banning them or, quote-unquote, you know, pulling them from shelves. But, but again, we are just, you know, I, I've talked about this at length on this program, uh, and, and this is kind of what you write about here. We're not talking about banning the content of many of these books because they are LGBTQ-centric. It's not right. the LGBTQ nature of the sex that is involved that is described and even illustrated so graphically here. It's the fact that it's sex period. Even if it was straight sex, this would be highly inappropriate to put on school shelves. That's ultimately the message, right? Exactly. And one of the books that I detailed um, you know, in my article, too, it's called Let's Talk About It, The mm-hmm. Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and Being Human. And that book, you know, mo- that is not an LGBT book, but it has a lot of explicit uh, content about sex. I mean, there's a chapter about kinks and fantasies that encourages children to look these things up on the Internet. It refers to porn as a fun, sugary treat. It encourages children to sex. It has a whole chapter about sexing. It has a lot of things in here that I can't even say on the radio because I don't want to get you fined, as do many of these others. So it's really, you know, they've tried to distort it as anti-gay, uh, but it's, it really has nothing to do with that. Although, you know, for whatever reason, a no- there are a lot of LGBT-themed young adult books that have very edgy, very explicit, very inappropriate content to them. But it isn't the fact that they're LGBT-focused, which has them banned. You're exactly correct. Yeah, and, and it's important to point this out. We're talking to Dave Seminara. He's a writer, and uh, his P- I just tweeted it, by the way. If you follow me on Twitter at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z-R-A-N-T-Z, you can read the article in the City Journal for yourself. He's also the host of the DeSantis Land podcast, which I'll ask him about in a moment. Um, but, but it, it's not the LGBTQ sexual, uh, uh, you know, descriptions and the literature here, but it is promoted by the LGBTQ community. To my knowledge, there are no, you know, straight sex, quote unquote, straight sex communities that are out there trying to push sexually graphic novels and books and how to's in schools. So while we're not targeting LGBTQ content in these books, the fact that the books are pushed and promoted by solely LGBTQ, um, advocates, it's, it, it, I guess it kind of says something. Well, look, uh, you know, for me, it's even much more mainstream than that. You don't need to go to an LGBTQ advocacy group to find these books being promoted. They're being promoted in Publishers Weekly. They're being promoted in, wow. in of all things, school library journal. You know, I quoted, I quoted a couple of these books, the reviews, the starred reviews, the glowing reviews they got in a, in a publication like School Library Journal. I mean, it's being They're being pushed to a mainstream audience, and it's all about indoctrination. They want children from a very, very young age to think that all of these different things are perfectly normal. They're trying to sexualize children and to control how their attitudes towards sex and gender and a lot of other things from a very, very young age. 
Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm that's a great point and I'm looking at the titles of some of the books. You there were 5 of them, right, that you chose specifically to kind of research and 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 report to the people who read. There were 5 work. of there were there were 5 of them, you know, targeting young adults and then the sixth one that I looked at was Toni Morrison's book, which is one of the uh, her first book published in 1970, The Bluest Eye, which is one of the most banned books in America and it's the one that really outrages the left cuz they love Toni Morrison. How dare you ban Toni Morrison, right? Because she's won all kinds of awards, but that book happens to have an, an incredible amount of graphic content, content in it, and a lot of graphic scenes regarding incest and even bestiality um, and rape, and a lot of incredibly inappropriate stuff for kids. And that's another one it has nothing to do with LGBT, but it's just not appropriate for children. Right, and I don't know why that is so controversial. That we used to have, like you said, it's a great analogy. I never thought about the the movie ratings, but uh, but maybe book ratings is a thing. Of course, it doesn't really matter much because a parent uh, can still take their kid to uh, to an R rated movie or a movie that is not rated for adolescents. I mean, there's still a way around it, but Correct. maybe that would at least kind of give some cover to those who are trying to say these don't belong in schools. That the rating system would say these can't be in public schools. Here's the great thing about, you know, about our system here in Florida, right? Is that if a parent disagrees with a school board decision to remove a book from a school library, guess what? You can still go to your public library, as I do, and check them out. So if you don't, if you think the school's being too, too cautious, great. Go to the public library and take the book out for your children. Or go to Amazon.com or go to any bookstore. You know, here in St. Pete, I live in a very, probably one of the more liberal cities of, of Florida, probably the second most liberal after, after Tallahassee. You go into bookstores here in St. Pete, and they literally have sections on banned books. <laughs> it's laughable. So wait, why do we have a section on banned books? They're not banned if you're, they're sitting here in the bookstore, right? Well, that's marketing. You know, because right. that's that's the forbidden fruit. Oh, look over here. That's the banned stuff. We that's going to draw the attention of adolescents yeah. immediately. They're going to go over there and say, "What's banned?" And let's see why. Let's see all the good stuff that's in it. And you know, Dave, we're talking to Dave Seminar again. He's a writer. His piece uh, for the City Journal here is very important. You should learn. Quote: What uh, have you looked inside any of these books? Um, you you know, when when I when I look at uh, at, at what they're and what they're doing and what they're trying to promote here with all of this pornographic content, I'm thinking to myself, any kid with a smartphone or a laptop has access to all the pornography they want. Sadly, but in reality, they sure as heck don't need it on their school bookshelves as well. As soon as they get out of school, and who knows, maybe even in study hall, if they're allowed to have their phones out, they may be watching porn for crying out loud. Why are we adding to the mess? No, you don't need it. One of the books, for example, the book is called This Book is Gay, Mm-hmm. And this book is, oh, the left loves this book. I mean, th- these are not, by the way, too, these are not like really fringe, weird books that I picked up. All of these books are published by large publishers. They're books that have hundreds or thousands of reviews. These are books that have been celebrated in the media. So I didn't just try to find like really weird, obscure books that no one's ever bought or recommended. These are all very, unfortunately, mainstream young adult books. But this this book, for example, this book is gay. The content in this thing, I mean, they've got stuff in here. You know, I'm 50 years old. I've never even heard of some of this stuff that they have in the glossary. It's like, wait, what? I've never even heard of this stuff before. And, you know, graphic you know, depictions of how to perform various different sex acts. Look, look kids, will figure, it, kids will figure this stuff out at some point, hopefully when they become adults. But we don't need to, you know, this book is marketed for young adults, which is age, uh, age 12 to 18. Believe me, 12 to 18-year-olds don't need this kind of stuff. Not Certainly not to find it in the school. Now, does this book is gay contain the uh, graphic uh, illustrations like Gender Queer does? Well, it has some graphic illustrations, but it's not so much the illustrations in this book, but the actual content. Now, in my podcast, I devoted an entire podcast episode 
And unfortunately, I had to give it an adult warning because I you know, told yeah. it at the very outset, please, if you're driving around with your children, you cannot listen to this. I quoted, I got the audiobook edition of this so people can actually hear you know, some of the narration. It's got some incredibly graphic stuff in it. It has a glossary of terms in the back for some of the nastiest, most repugnant sex acts you could even imagine defined. Some of them, as I said, I've never even heard of before. They're so essentially aberrant. I'm reading as you you and I speak. I'm looking. You know, I have your your article up in front of me, and you were right, by the way. And I'm glad you recognize we can't say these things on the radio. Of course, um, I don't even like reading them to myself as I sit here and scan. I want people to read the details. If you have not yet maybe formulated an opinion as to whether or not schools should be taking certain books off the shelves, read this article with the very very easy to understand and easy to be disgusted by uh, language that. Uh, that Dave has included here in these books, Jack of Hearts, Gender Queer. Let's talk about it. Um, uh, this book is gay. And what are the other ones? Let's talk about it. I mean, let's talk about it. To me, this is one of the most objectionable because not only does it get into the graphic stuff, but it's also trying to change kids' minds about different things. Like, for example, there's a whole chapter on gender in this book that says, for example, and I'm quoting, you and your gender can change as often as you want, exclamation point. And it talks about virginity as literally, it says virginity is an outdated concept. It says, literally says that in here. And it talks about because there's so many different types of sex acts you can perform. There's so many different ways to lose your virginity and you can try them all and such. I mean, I'm not kidding, folks. This is literally, this is in the book. So, I mean, not yeah. only are these books graphic, but they're also trying to, you know, they're trying to indoctrinate children into a very far left wing um, ideas about gender and sexuality. The LGBTQ community that pushes and promotes all of this stuff and is trying to indoctrinate and overtly sexualize kids call us pearl clutchers. We're the, you know, we're the, we're the ones who are just, you know, so out of touch with the Generation Z and, 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 and we're the one, like you said, they're the ones who, who say that virginity, virginity is an out, uh, out, uh, uh, dated concept and that we are the ones who are, who are completely out of touch now. How do we respond to them? Well, I think that we have to respond to them in the, in the way that I and you and others on, on, the, on the right, I think, are trying to do is by letting people know what is inside of these books, right? Because no one likes the concept of book banning, right? And this, again, first of all, we have to, we have to challenge the definition of book banning. What is book banning? Book banning is not removing books from school libraries, first of all. So we need to challenge the left on what is a ban, right? And then we have to inform people of what is actually in these books that's being removed from school libraries. And then finally, I think, again, and I think this is something that could be done legislatively, is that we need to have the same sort of ratings for books that we have for television programs and for uh, our guest is uh, Dave. Sa- I completely agree with that. Dave Seminara. He's a writer and the host of the Desantis Land podcast. Dave, what's Desantis Land? Is that just uh, I love my governor, or is I want that guy to be the president? <laughs> uh, it's both. But wh- you know what I try to do on the podcast? It is a Florida centric podcast, but it is uh, it is great if you like Ron DeSantis and want to know what we're doing down here in Florida. It is focused on Florida politics and Ron DeSantis especially. But what there's so much fake news about Florida these days. I mean, we just had the NAACP issue a travel warning on our state. We also had the largest Hispanic group in the country do the same thing over the last week. There's so much fake news about Florida. What I try to do with my podcast is push back and correct some of the fake narratives. Was um, was that the same NAACP, by the way, whose vice president, I'm told, lives in Clearwater? 
Yes, he does. Well, there, well, he lives in Tampa, <laughs> and there's also one of the vice chairs was just on vacation recently and was posting about it. In um, was just posting about on Instagram, and also, you know, interesting enough, MSNBC had a guest a couple of days ago to talk about this NAACP travel advisory, and she admits at the outset, this woman, that she just recently vacationed in Florida, but she says now I don't want anything to do with this state, and she literally said that we are becoming a terrorist state. She sure did. That was her quote. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, I heard I heard that too. It is incredible, uh, and 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 you know, tell me this because when I saw that NAACP announcement, uh, you know, warning travelers that travel advisory: if you're a person of color or if you are an LGBTQ person, uh, that Florida is a, is a dangerous place for you. And then or somebody, an I'm sorry, mm-hmm. or an immigrant, yeah, or an immigrant, right, right, yeah. right. And and then somebody was given the numbers of black owned businesses and the growth of black employment and so forth uh, in sure. Florida compared to the rest of the nation. And and when those things are brought to the attention of the NAACP who are calling for this boycott, which is clearly politically motivated, they had no right. response whatsoever. Well, it's sad. Both of these groups, this Latino union, I mean, this is also the largest Latino. Uh, they're billing themselves as a civil rights organization. They call themselves the oldest and largest Latino civil rights organization in the same week, right? It's all a coincidence. It's li- these are literally coordinated attacks cooked up probably at the DNC, right? I mean, these two groups take their marching orders from the Democratic Party. It's really sad. I mean, they're supposed to be advocating you know, on the advancement of African-Americans and Latinos and the other group. And instead, well, they're literally just trying to advance the narrow interests of the Democratic Party. And I think the Democratic Party is scared of Ron DeSantis. They don't want him to they don't want him to be the nominee. They certainly don't want to face him. And they're demonizing him because they're afraid that he could be the nominee and they think that he'd beat uh Biden. Um the left isn't the only one that seems to be afraid of Ron DeSantis. President Trump greeted uh Tim Scott's announcement yesterday with <laughs> with with yeah. this. Good uh-huh. luck to good luck to Senator Tim Scott mm-hmm. in entering the Republican presidential primary race. It is rapidly loading up with lots of people, and Tim is a yeah. big step up from Ron DeSanctimonious, who is totally unelectable. Mm-hmm. I got opportunity zones done with Tim, a big deal, and he's been highly successful. Good luck, Tim. So, you know, right. it's interesting to me that President Trump uh, one of the reasons he has been hitting and attacking DeSantis so much, he says, is because of the disloyalty that I endorsed him in 2018, and now he ch- he wants to run against me. What about loyalty? Well, mm-hmm. President Trump also endorsed Tim Scott just last year for reelection, right? Uh, as a senator, right. no, no. but but there's no there's no complaint about disloyalty here. He says, <laughs> "Welcome to welcome to the race." No. What do you think is going no, on and, there? Yeah, and well, and it's sad too to see you know the way he has been disparaging Florida too. I mean, Trump has been talking about he's been claiming that Ron DeSantis is a lockdown governor. We were a big lockdown state. We're all down here like, well, oh, what, what lockdown governor? Okay, he's also saying that we have terrible education here and crime is soaring. And oh my gosh, he's, he's portraying Florida as um, you know as, as like a failed state. It's kind of a joke. And he's welcoming Tim Scott in the race because he wants it to be a crowded field <laughs> because he wants to splinter the anti-Trump vote. So I think that that's what's going on there. But the idea that, you know, that DeSantis hasn't achieved a lot is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, you know, I get I subscribe to the governor's press. I mean, in just in the last month or so, as they wrapped up the legislative session down here in Florida, they signed literally dozens of laws. I mean, if you're a conservative, this is like a conservative uh, dream. The amount of legislation that they've passed here and stuff that conservatives have been wanting to do for years, they got more done, I would say, legislatively in about the last two to three weeks um, of their legislative session here in late April into May, then unfortunately Trump was able to achieve 
legislatively in, in, in four years in office. That's how much they got done. Now, of course, it helps to have a supermajority in the legislature. Trump didn't have that going for him, did he? But they got done a, a, a lot here. And Trump is obviously concerned. He, he quite rightly sees DeSantis as his really only credible threat. And so he's going all out to try to uh, to destroy him. But I don't I don't think it's going to work. Well, here's the real question. Is he a credible threat? I mean, uh, despite all of the accomplishments in Florida, and I agree with you because I, we've got severe governor envy up here. We've got Mike DeWine. I would rather have Ron DeSantis. Uh, right. Every day I see I see new things that remind me of that. But uh, despite all of his accomplishments as Florida governors, the polls mm-hmm. are just astounding. Uh, and they continue to widen, at least again in likely Republican voters, that it's, I don't know, 60 to 20 or something of that nature mm-hmm. uh, in favor of Trump. So is DeSantis really viable? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't worry about the polls at this, at this stage of the game either. Because first of all, you know, we have to remember, how do we elect a president? Do we elect a president based upon a nationwide popular vote? No, we do not. We elect a pre- you know, we're going to have about 10 or 11 states that are going to decide the next election, right? And so you have to look at the state polls, number one, and you got to look at the national state polls. And unfortunately for him, I voted for him previously. Um, but look at Trump's lack of popularity, I guess we'll say, in those swing states. You look at his favorability in Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and other the key states that are actually going to decide the election. And it's bad. The news is very ugly. So, I mean, the media, media wants Trump to get that nomination. The Democrats are licking their chops because they've beaten this guy before. And the, Dem- and the Republicans have had bad elections three times in a row. 2018 was a disaster, lost 41 seats in the House, then lost the Georgia runoff, right? 2020, Biden won. 2022, we were supposed to have red wave, didn't happen. They're very comfortable with Trump as the leader of the Republican Party. That's in their comfort zone. They know that he will, if he's the nominee, he's, the, the left is going to turn out like crazy. No one galvanizes liberals to the polls like him, so they want him there, right? So they're focusing on those national polls that show, you know, Trump versus DeSantis. But the important ones are the polls that show Trump 70% of the country. There was a poll about a month ago that 70% of the country doesn't want him to run for president. And it was a similar number for Biden, right? So I think that the problem for him is that he's weak in the swing states. And I think that DeSantis, you know, hasn't even launched his campaign yet. Once the guy launches his campaign, once he gets up there on a debate stage, I think he's going to do fantastic. And I think what's going to happen is Trump is not going to want to debate, first of all, because he's got nothing. There's no incentive for him to debate. He's way up in the polls. I think Trump is going to find some excuses not to debate. He's already said that he doesn't want to debate because he's going to be at the Reagan Library. You know, he's already he's already concocting excuses not to debate. I think that's going to go very poorly. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that is not the case. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that's not the case. We need to see him. We need to see all of these candidates on a stage. Last thing before you go, super quick. Yep. Uh, there's, I know you don't. Uh, you said you're not putting much into the polls at this point, but a poll that was conducted by Rasmussen showed that an overwhelming number of Republicans would support a Ron or Don Ron ticket. Any any thoughts on that? I don't think it'll happen. There's so much bad blood at this point. I don't think that would happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that voters might like it, but I don't think he wants to be vice president. I think he's sort of an ambitious guy. And I think the attacks have gotten so nasty, you know, coming from Trump in the last month or two. I would be shocked if he if I would be shocked if Trump asked him to be on the ticket. And I would be even more shocked if DeSantis accepted. Very good. Uh, Dave Seminara, his uh, piece of, on uh, on the book banning or the alleged book banning is at City Journal. I tweeted it. You can find him. And uh, Dave, what's your Twitter handle? Dave Seminara. At Dave Seminara, just like it sounds, S-E-M-I-N-A-R-A, Dave Seminara, and he is the host of the DeSantis Land Podcast. Dave, thanks for coming on. Great work. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, you got to have a great day. It's 9.58. We'll take a timeout now for news. Kersenow joins us next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Onward into clock. Thanks for being with us. On Always Right Radio, it's the 23rd morning of the 5th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And you know the music, and you know what it means. Here he is, our favorite commentator every single week. He is an attorney. He is a member of the Civil Rights Commission. He's an author. He's a columnist. He's a law professor. He does a little bit of everything except for catching passes for the Cleveland Browns. Peter Kersenow, welcome back, my friend. Now, uh, Pete... Um, you missed last week because you said you were traveling, so I have one question for you. You weren't traveling to Florida, were you? Because <laughs> that could be I'm dangerous as hell that. for a guy like yeah, you. Yeah, very, very dangerous. You know, I, I don't know why there haven't been travel restrictions on Baltimore, New York City, Chicago, because it's a lot more dangerous going those places than Florida, I'll tell you that what? much. Well, what do you mean? The NAACP said Florida is like a terrorist state, and it's a really dangerous place that's not hospitable to uh, people of color or people uh, who are LGBTQ. Yeah, it tells you all you need to know now about the NAACP, doesn't it? I mean, if we didn't already know that it's just a functioning arm of the Democratic Party, uh, they've got nothing whatsoever to say that is helpful for blacks or any other, you know, it's the the National Association of Colored People, uh, but any other person of color. And uh, so they're getting engaged in a partisan uh, endeavor here. Everybody knows that. They're not fooling anybody. But it's so absurd. You would think they'd have a little bit more self-respect and come up with something a little bit more plausible. But, hey, Bob, it's a sad day in Cleveland. My personal hero, Jim Brown, died. Um, The greatest running back, I would say, and I know there's a dispute about this, but I will argue to death with anybody about this. I think he's the greatest football player of all time. There's a plausible case to be made that he's the greatest athlete of all time. And, uh, you know, the greatest athlete, clearly, who played for any Cleveland team. Just, uh, just It was extraordinary for someone of my age. People of my age remember it vividly. Uh, you remember, because you can only watch the away games, because back then there were only a few television stations, and they blacked out anything that was a home game unless it was sold out. And that was only in the later stages of his career. Uh, but I had the opportunity to watch him in practice, had the opportunity to watch him in games and scrimmages, and uh, I'm here to tell you, I've never seen a better athlete, clearly not a better running back, and I would argue not a better football player. I don't think there's anybody out there. Someone may argue about, you know, Tom Brady, Lawrence Taylor. No. If for those of us who actually saw all of them play in person and or on TV frequently, Jim Brown takes the cake. And I guarantee you, if you ask your callers, yeah, they will say certain things. We, none of us sanctioned some of the um, you know personal things that he had, but in terms of pure football and athletic ability, nobody exceeded Jim Brown. And I guarantee you that the 
members of your audience of a certain age could probably cite, as I can, by heart, many of his statistics, some of which will never, ever, ever be broken. There was one year, 1963, where he had a 6.2 rushing average. 6.2. We get excited now when Barry Sanders, you know, 30 years ago, who I think is phenomenal, uh, had a 4.7 or a 5.2. Uh, just extraordinary. And for those who think that maybe there's an argument about who's the greatest running back, you know, Barry Sanders is clearly one of those that's in the mix, along with Bo Jackson, O.J. Simpson, Earl Campbell, and others. But <laughs> Barry Sanders' own father, when, when Barry was at the height of his uh, uh, abilities and career, said, nope, Jim Brown was the greatest. Yeah, you know, for me, just since you brought it up, um, I'm too young to have seen him play live, obviously, and there's much, much less video of him from that era than there is, of course, for everybody today, in which every snap is captured from from 19 different angles, and you can watch it all. Right. Um, But the only thing I'd say in response to that, whenever people have the GOAT debate in in football, it's such a different animal than basketball. In basketball, you play offense and defense. You score, you pass, you defend. And it's much easier to compare in eras, I think, in basketball than it is in football. But the nature of football... Who is somebody so much better at running it than they are at tackling runners, or somebody so much better at tackling runners or defending uh, 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 passes uh, and then throwing them? And it, it's just so many different things. So for me, and there's no knock on Jim Brown because everything you just said was accurate in terms of his football, you know, uh, ability and his and his athleticism. But the hardest position to play to me in all of team sports is quarterback. There is nothing like it. There is nothing where you have to be the smartest player on the field. You have to read 19 different things, direct traffic, make decisions on the fly. Nobody else has that, that responsibility. I think like a quarterback. I think it's harder than pitching. I think it's harder than catching in, in, in baseball. I think it's harder than anything that's done in basketball. And so to me, the guy who's the best quarterback ever, uh, has to get the nod as the best player ever because it's the hardest position to play. Uh, and, and so that's, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll go to the Tom Brady, Otto Graham, you know, discussions and debates and things like that over a guy who plays running back or plays, you know, Jerry Rice to me, I used to think was the greatest football player of all time because he was the greatest player at his position and nobody else was even close. People make arguments about whether Brady is the best or whether it was Otto Graham or whether it was, uh, you know, Joe Montana. People argue about whether it's Jim Brown or is it Barry Sanders or is it Walter Payton. Nobody argues anybody other over Jerry Rice. It's just Jerry Rice and nobody else. So if I wanted to go there, I could go there. But it for me, it's it's a little a little tough to just declare one guy, particularly uh, Jim Brown, as the as the all time goat. You're wrong, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. No, you make. <laughs> take that. Take take that. Uh, take that to a debate stage, boy, and watch you just bring the house down. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I tell you, no, I agree with everything you have to say, Bob. I mean, we're both old football players and stuff, but I have to tell you, when I saw Jim Brown play, and again, you know, some of this is is the function of a wide-eyed kid, but I actually saw him, back in the day, you could go to Hiram where the training camp was and actually sit on the sidelines and watch these guys practice. And I became the hero of my school, and I think forever and ever, when Jim Brown on a sweep play got strung out and had to actually leap over me before killing me, okay? Got his autograph a couple of times. Uh, watched him play in every game I could possibly play in. And, yes, he was a hero of mine. But the guy was 
a freak of nature beyond Michael Jordan. He was just extraordinary. And one thing that I would say in, in terms of not just maybe the greatest football player of all time, I think a plausible case can be made that he was the greatest athlete of all time. And a number of people have made this point. You know, he was an American basketball player. He played baseball. He was a, the, maybe the greatest. When I was at Cornell, I was thinking about playing lacrosse, which I'd never seen before. Back in the day in, in Ohio, nobody played lacrosse. But I happen to be going to school with two of the greatest lacrosse players of all time. The, score, the all-time scoring leader, Eamon McEnany, All-American, unfortunately died in the World Trade Center, and Mike French, all-time scoring leader. And one day I was asking an old trainer, um, Matt LaFrance, is Eamon the greatest you've ever seen? Is he the greatest of all time? And remember, at, at Cornell, we were national champions, I think, two years when I was there. We had great, great lacrosse players. Uh, so we had seen a lot of them. And Matt said, no, not close. Jim Brown was the greatest. And not only was the greatest in, in that, he, he was a, an, an amazing basketball player. He was a, a, just an amazing track athlete. In 1958, I believe it was, they offered him. He'd never boxed before, but they, paid him, they offered him $100,000, which was huge bucks back then, to fight the then reigning heavyweight champion Rocky Marciano. That's what people thought of the guy. But anyway, um, look, unfortunately, one of the Cleveland icons is gone. Um, you know, maybe the, the brightest spot in the history of uh, Cleveland football. We had a lot of bright, bright spots, but it's been, a, it's been a long time, Bob. <laughs> We've been long-suffering. We're looking for more heroes. Yeah, you're right about that. And, you know, I'm sure most of our politically-minded audience is tired of hearing us talk about this. <laughs> but... Since you're going to do that, I'm going to ask you this. What makes someone the greatest, quote-unquote, athlete of all time? Uh, is it the, the career records and the leading scorer or this or that or the leading rusher and so forth? Or is it, can you measure it another way? And particularly if you're going to go into the multiple sports thing. Because I could argue that for the short period of time that his meteoric rise and fall due to the hip injury happened, right. I think maybe the greatest athlete, pure athlete, size, strength, speed, Everything, talent, um, is probably Bo. Um, now, of course, I'm way too young, and even you are, to to admit to have uh, watched Jim Thorpe. Uh, but, uh, but you know, because that's another multiple sport guy. Since you're bringing up all of the lacrosse and stuff with Jim Brown, this is a guy who did so many different things in Olympics, the NFL, uh, uh, and so forth. Uh, but, but there's a lot of different ways to look at it. But I, I think one thing that, that stands out for you, of course, is, you know, there is, there is geographical bias. You're, you're a Clevelander. Jim was, you're a Cleveland Browns fan. Jim Brown was the, was the Cleveland Browns. So I get that and I understand that. And I know there are a lot of people who are going to certainly mourn his passing. And I, uh, and I certainly respect that. So one day we have to have a sports show, Bob. I think we just did. It's not ten nineteen. We haven't talked about whistleblowers or or anything else yet. Let's uh, let's take a break. We'll come back in and we'll reset because that was fun. That was a nice diversion. Sometimes we need exactly that. Uh, and by the way, did you enjoy last night? I didn't watch it because I don't watch the NBA anymore. But I was uh, on a text chat with my son for the entirety of Game Four of the Nuggets and LeBron. Uh, did you enjoy watching or learning that LeBron got swept uh, in the uh, in the Western Conference Finals yesterday as much as I did? I was incredible. I didn't watch, but I was told about it, and uh, obviously, no crying in the beer. <laughs> well, especially, never mind, I'll, I was going to make a Bud Light joke. 1020, we'll come back with Chris and I right after this, Always Right Radio. Okay, 1023 now. We'll uh, get back to business here with our good friend Peter Kirsten now joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete, let's talk about the FBI. FBI in a couple of different ways. You and I have not spoken since the Durham report dropped last week. Um, 
The Durham report was, of course, very, very damning for the FBI. It was also useless because it did not call for any accountability. There are no consequences, no punishments, no deterrent to others to try to do the same things that um, that were done to Donald Trump <clears throat> with the uh, uh, with the Russia collusion hoax. So uh, I want to get your thoughts. The FBI knew full well what the Hillary Clinton campaign was doing. Uh, they were briefed. They they okayed. They did not intervene on a loud crossfire hurricane to start. Uh, conversely, the FBI uh, helped cover up in the most recent election in 2020. Helped cover up uh, the um, uh, the Biden or the Hunter Biden or Cla- maybe we should say the Biden family laptop uh, filled with all kinds of crimes and things that might have flipped the, the election in 2020. And now. We get whistleblower after whistleblower after whistleblower coming to the Republican-controlled House, particularly the Judiciary and the Weaponization Subcommittee, talking about any time they reported any of the malfeasance or corruption or, or questionable things that were going on at the FBI, these agents were retaliated against in horrific ways. Their families were left without clothing, without without their own goods. Uh, they were left homeless. The Agents themselves were not allowed by some weird arcane rule in the uh, FBI that says you can't take another job if you leave the FBI unless we give approval for it. So that's a lot to say this question or to ask this question, Peter. Should the FBI be dismantled? Yes. I've been saying that for quite some time now. Um, And, you know, the obligatory language, there are a lot of good FBI agents out there. I would would suspect probably 90% of them are, but that's not the point. The point is that this is an agency that if it doesn't have utmost integrity, we are in deep, deep, deep trouble. And we are. We're in deep, deep, deep trouble. It started at the top and goes, permeates to a number of different ranks of the FBI. Now, it may not, you know, infect field offices, who knows, but that's not important. What's important is the DOJ gave them a free pass, allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do. They became, some people say, you know, and I don't necessarily go to this extreme, but it's an apt analogy, at least it's, it's a picturesque analogy. They're, you know, the Democratic Party's Stasi. They didn't do anything. All the mistakes that they make all favor one side. And they're not mistakes. These are calculated. What we saw in the Durham report, and most, you know, I would encourage people to read as much of it as they can or at least get a competent summary of it, because what we're seeing here, this is, again, I hate to repeat myself. Um, I'm not trying to be histrionic, and people, you know, far more sober than me are reacting the same way. And that is that this is an indication of not just the decline of the republic, but the collapse of the republic. You do not, I I, I hate to say things so dramatically, but it's difficult. I won't say you do not. Uh, Who knows what the future holds? But history shows that when republics go down this path, they don't come back. That's how serious this is, and it's compounded by the fact that we have an absolutely corrupt media, which, faced with the greatest scandal in American political history, by far, this transcends Watergate by a factor of 20. Despite that, they have failed to, some of the networks don't even cover the Durham report, didn't even cover it, despite the fact that for several years, they were saying everything with with just breathless uh, enthusiasm that was debunked by the Durham report. They propagated the Russia collusion.
collusion hoax, the greatest hoax in the history of American politics, and gave each other prizes, Pulitzer Prizes for it, never once have they retracted. Never once. Because they're doing the work of the regime. I have more respect for Pravda because at least they had to say those lies at the point of a gun. This is dangerous, and what we've seen is this is the manifestation of the left having taken over virtually every major institution in this country, media, you name it, you know, schools, um, and they get no pushback because of this. They go out and they arrest you know, pro-lifers and parents and others uh, because of who they are and what they do, because they have the wrong ideology. We have a First Amendment in this country which has been, been criminalized. So this is of something of tremendous magnitude, and I think what disturbs me, aside from the press, we always knew they were biased, now they are completely and utterly corrupt. What disturbs me is the lack of, of energy. I've said this a number of occasions. Lack of energy on the part of Republicans, outside of, say, a Jim Jordan or James Comer and a few others who you can depend on, Tom Cotton and, and a few others. What I hear for, from them is a disturbing silence in the face of the derogation of the republic. Yeah, the media is not going to talk about this stuff, but they should be out there every single day going absolutely ballistic because it deserves it. Not, not only should they be informing people who are oblivious to this because of the media's travesty, but it, it's, they should be hounding the Democrats constantly for reforms and the the fbi i don't think it can be salvaged i think it needs to be torn down in a deliberate fashion i mean obviously we're going to need the functions that the fbi provides without any interruption but the the fbi as currently exists christopher ray and everybody in washington and in whatever other leaders have been in charge when all this corruption was going on they need to be jettisoned immediately. There have to be sanctions also so that there's some price to pay. Jim Comey, who may be one of the most corrupt individuals around, gets paid millions of dollars for it. This guy oversaw much of this. We saw the FISA abuses. What was it? I can't remember the exact number. Was it 200 times? Yeah. This is extraordinary. It's extraordinary, and it's, it gets a yawn. Jim Comey's going around, to and all these guys. He's coming to town. He's coming to town. You know, I'll meet him. Jim, Co Jim Comey is coming, I'm told, on June 6th to speak and promote his book at uh, a library in uh, Parma. Extraordinary. That's yeah. just extraordinary. That's That should not be countenanced. No, I completely agree uh, what that man did. And quite frankly, sadly, what his successor has done, which is no better, none whatsoever. And President Trump got to handpick that successor, which was Christopher Wray. Uh, I agree. The, the entire agency needs We need the agency. We need an agency. We need those needs met. But it cannot be by the current leadership and the current structure under the, in the way that it is in the Department of Justice. We'll pick this up on the other side. Uh, Always Right Radio continues after the break on AM 1420, The Answer. Always right radio on the answer. Well, that was one of the better commercial breaks I've ever had. Just before we came back live, I got a FaceTime call from my daughter, and I was like, she knows I'm on the radio. Why is she FaceTiming me now? And she was FaceTiming me to show me live um, her image of the Eiffel Tower. She and her girlfriend are in Paris 
actually they're in, they're doing a European trip here before she has to report to law school. So she's getting all her living out now before she locks down into a law library for the next three years. Uh, and she just FaceTimed me from standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. That was all kind of cool. I love that girl. Peter Kirsten now continues with us. Hey, Pete. So, uh, did you have a thought on that, Pete? You chuckled. Uh, I, I did one day, I'll tell you about my trip as a 15-year-old to Paris. It's not necessarily suitable for the airwaves. <laughs> okay, then I'm looking forward to that one uh, over a cold one sometime, a cold non-bud light. Okay, Peter, I want to talk about uh, politics now. Um, Tim Scott made it official yesterday. Uh, Ron DeSantis is going to make it official sometime between, I think, by the end of this week, I think, uh, is, is what we're hearing. First, let's start with Tim Scott. What are your thoughts on Tim Scott as a candidate, number one? And number two, what are your thoughts on the in- extraordinary racism from the left, which is very, very common, as we know. They, ref- they of course, refute this. But the racism of the left, uh, calling Tim Scott another Clarence Thomas, uh, basically suggesting that he is uh, not a real black person, because real black, as Joe Biden once said, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. He's not a real black. He can't speak for the black population. He can't speak for uh, what it's really like to, to de- cause, you know, he told his story yesterday of coming up, uh, making it from an impoverished black family in the South and, and, uh, and, and rising to the level he has as a very, very well-respected senator and now a presidential candidate. And the left is savaging him, saying, you, Sonny Hostin among them, saying, you are the exception, not the rule. Stop trying to make it look like black people can actually achieve and do great things in this country where they are held back by systemic racism. So give me your thoughts on the Tim Scott announcement. Yeah, um, I like Tim Scott a lot. I, I really do. I think uh, he's a strong person uh, uh, in terms of his character and in terms of his candidacy also. I hope he stays where he is. I, um, you know, It's not that I'm trying to dissuade him for running, but I don't think he's got a shot. I'm just being realistic about this. Um, you know, I think maybe he is doing this to set himself up for future runs. I don't think he's ready for it uh, now, definitely not ready for it now, and he's going to be beaten by several other candidates. That's not to say that his um, voice shouldn't be heard, but at some point, you know, in the very near future, I hope that uh, he makes the decision to simply focus on his career as a senator for now, and maybe he's got another opportunity down the road. But I, I don't think he's ready for uh, ready for prime time is not, uh, uh, you know, the appropriate phrase. He's not ready for a run for the presidency, but whoever is, you know. Um, is now, it that he's as, not ready, Pete, if I may? if is, is it that he's not ready, or do you mean that he's not well-known enough and America's not ready for him? Like, like he's, he's very popular in conservative about, circles, yeah. yeah, but he's got he's to win over a lot of people. He's got to be introduced to the nation, and quite frankly, that, that's the problem with a lot of these, uh, some of these other upstarts. Right, I think that's a good point to make. Yeah, I, I do. I think you make a very good point there. I, I think he's just not n- known, but, you know, if he enters the race, obviously people will get to know him. But I think that it might make sense for him to enter now so that if he's interested in another run sometime in the future, he's got name recognition. And in in terms of the left going after him, they're always going to do that whenever a black conservative runs because they are death. Black conservatives are death to the left and to the uh, pro- progressive prospect because once they lose, as I've said this a million times before, they cannot win national elections without 88% minimum minimum, 88% minimum of the black vote. And every black conservative will be hunted down like an escaped slave because of that. So they'll tell all kinds of lies about Tim Scott and Clarence Thomas and everything else. They treat black conservatives the way that um, the left claims 
that bad old racists used to treat blacks in the past. And they, they do so with impunity because, of course, the media is behind them. And the media only likes one set of black people, you know, that black people, you know, uh, pledge allegiance to progressive causes and don't rock the boat otherwise. So you could have out of control crime. You have blacks slaughtered in the inner cities. You could have all kinds of maladies uh, affecting blacks. But as long as they check the box next to the progressive candidate, all is well. And that progressive candidate's not going to do anything to help blacks. In fact, almost every single malady affecting blacks today could be remedied if we'd simply abandoned progressive policy prescriptions. So considering everything that you just said, and, you know, including the part about the 88%, uh, some have suggested this is Tim Scott's way of uh, campaigning for vice president. He wants to be the number two on Trump's ticket, which might then propel him to be, quote unquote, ready for primetime in 2028. Um, Do you think that's a possibility? I think it's a possibility. I really do. Um, my understanding is I haven't talked to Trump about this or any, anybody else. My understanding is Trump is fond of Tim Scott. Uh, you know, he might be considering something like that. Trump really hasn't mentioned explicitly who his running mate would be. And by the way, you know, you saw the same polling data. Trump is way ahead in terms of a Republican primary. And, you know, many of us, you know, we may be conflicted about that. I love Trump and his the steel in his spine, but we've got to win. We've got to win the next election cycle because we are that close to the, we are at the precipice. We're not close to the precipice. We're, the, we're right there. And we've got to defeat the left. And there's a question whether or not Trump is the guy to do that. Now, I happen to think he can, but I also think that DeSantis might have actually a better shot at doing so. And he'd probably come up with the same policy prescriptions without the rough edges that uh, Trump has. But many of us like the rough edges that Trump brings to the game. So that's going to be interesting. I hope that everybody, for the sake of the republic, does what's best for the republic and not for themselves. So rough edges aside, the the thing that for me is a problem with with President Trump is is you know the, just the blatant hypocrisy. The say one thing, do another. The say one thing about one thing, and then the opposite about another. This is the kind of thing that just I think is going to rub people the wrong way. A lot of people who are not already in the MAGA camp. Uh, and, and that's why we have to look beyond polling in a Republican primary right now. And that is when Tim Scott made his announcement yesterday, Donald Trump greeted him with, quote, Good luck to Senator Tim Scott in entering the Republican presidential primary race. It is rapidly loading up with lots of people, and Tim is a big step up from Ron DeSanctimonious, who is totally unelectable. I got opportunity zones done with Tim, a big deal that has been highly successful. Good luck, Tim. Now, President Trump endorsed Tim Scott just last year, and now here comes Tim Scott wanting to take Donald Trump's second term away from him as a candidate in this Republican primary. President Trump has been attacking Ron DeSantis for disloyalty, saying, I endorsed you in 2018, I endorsed you for governor of Florida, and now this is how you pay me back for coming for my job? That's He says disloyalty is the thing he can't stand the most about Ron DeSantis, because, um, because he endorsed him, and, and here he comes. Um, what does that tell you, that President Trump is celebrating everybody getting into this race except for the guy he's been running attack ads against since February? Yeah, it's clear that Trump has identified DeSantis as his most critical threat. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And what I don't like, and I think a lot of your listeners will concur, they love Trump's approach to governance. 
They love to see him back in the White House as opposed to a Biden, but they hate the fact that Trump has had forever and ever this tendency to be shooting within a tent, you know, shooting fellow Republicans. Um, when he doesn't really have to do that. No, it's, he doesn't. It's, it's, it's infuriating. It's, you know, it's contrary to uh, Ronald Reagan's commandment uh, regarding attacking fellow Republicans. I don't think it's helpful to him because I think it turns off a lot of people who might otherwise be supportive of Trump. I don't know that's a significant cohort that would necessarily damage him. But, um, you know, I do think that Trump views... Tim Scott is less of a threat. That's why he doesn't go after Tim Scott. And, and let's face it, just as you indicated, Scott may be a viable vice presidential running mate, whereas, you know, politics makes strange bedfellows. I would ne- never say never. I think that's conceivable that DeSantis might be the VP for Donald Trump if Trump got the nomination, because uh, it would be a, a strong ticket, no, dif- no doubt about that. But nonetheless, Trump is going out there and just, you know, shooting you know, blindly at, at uh, DeSantis and maybe some other candidates, too. He hasn't said anything about Nikki Haley because Nikki Haley is not a threat. But that's Trump's style. That's his style. I'm not defending it at all. I hate that style, frankly. But it's part of who he is and what makes him an energetic or made him an energetic president who was, yeah. un, you know, was willing to take on shibboleths that nobody else was willing to take on to that point. Yeah, and, it, and it's one of his biggest flaws. I mean, I look at the part of his greeting of Tim Scott, and I think that's the Donald Trump that I want to see. Good luck, Senator yeah, Scott, right, entering this right. field. You're a great guy. You're going to be do great things. Good luck, Tim. If he did the same thing to Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and everybody else, I would then look at the, 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 the results that we got from four years of Donald Trump, which were spectacular. I think everybody agrees were spectacular in almost all circles. Um, uh, and, and, and also, you know, here's a guy saying, yeah, come on in, be, be, a, be a part of the race. That's fine. I know that I'm going to win again. I know that I, this is my party right now, but I welcome all comers instead of doing what he's doing, particularly to Ron DeSantis, which is a giant turnoff, which might already answer the question I'm about to ask you, Pete. Um, our good friend Tom Zawistowski from the We the People Convention commissioned a survey by uh, Rasmussen and asked them to poll Republicans nationwide uh, to find out how, uh, how they would feel about a Don Ron unity ticket. And the results came back spectacularly, showing that a Trump-DeSantis ticket would destroy Biden-Harris. And I don't know if they did it with uh, Newsom or anybody else or not, but that would be what brought everything together. And and my response to that has been it's not possible because of the way Trump has treated DeSantis, because DeSantis, I don't think, wants to hitch his wagon to Donald Trump for all of the negative reasons that, that Trump is there. Um, but but the numbers show it would be a shoe in if they did unify. Is there any chance of that in your opinion? I think there's a chance. I tend to agree with your assessment that it would be a small chance. But remember this. Among other things, Donald Trump is one of the more calculating and utilitarian people you're ever going to want to meet. And if he thinks something's necessary to win, I wouldn't put it beyond him to do what's necessary. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to try to destroy DeSantis in the process, which unfortunately I think he's going to try. I, I think it's horrible. I, I hope his handlers, you know, corralling Trump is tough. I don't know that any quote-unquote handlers are actually handlers or that they could do anything to kind of, you know, leaven Trump a little bit. But everybody in the world uh, that Trump has even the marginal amount of respect for should be getting on him right now and saying, do not 
fire within the tent. Don't go after DeSantis. Don't go after anybody else. If anything, hold your fire solely for Democrats, but don't do it with respect to Republicans. I think a lot of people out there would love to see a Trump-DeSantis ticket. I think you're right. The polling shows it, but I think the devastation to the Democrats would be even worse. It would be their worst nightmare. Um, frankly, my dogs could beat Biden in a head-to-head matchup, I believe. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, having powerhouses like Trump and DeSantis um, kind of two sides of the conservative coin. You know, DeSantis is smooth around the edges, whereas Trump is rough as can be. I think that would be a really, really good ticket. I tend to think, though, based on the polling we've seen, that it's, it's, if it's not that, it's more likely to be Trump-Scott, um, which will also be, I think, a very strong ticket. But the key is getting Trump to behave more like a president as opposed to a guy who's just out there at the bull in the china shop. He can do it. He has the ability to do it, and he's shown he's got the ability to do it. And what's important is he may be the best chance for Republicans to win. I'm not sure. I, I think DeSantis you know, is a close second if he's not even pulled even with Trump. But we must win. It's not about Trump. It, it seems like his entire career has been about him, all due respect, but it's not about Trump, it's about the country. And right now we're at a worse and more dangerous place than we were back in 2016. I think Trump appreciates that. And if he does appreciate that, he knows he has to do whatever he can to curb his instincts and permit him to win the election. Peter, um, given all of that, and I, I, I think that's a very astute analysis, um, we don't live inside of just the likely Republican voter poll that shows him leading DeSantis by 40 points. We have to look at this from a national perspective. We have to look at it from a battleground state perspective as well. And the reality is, according to the polls in those places, the name Trump is toxic to middle-class women. They hate him. It's also toxic to most moderates and independents because of all of those edges and the things that you talked about. Um, That's my way of asking, does he need a woman on the ticket? Does he need a Christie Noem or a Tulsi Gabbard, even a you know a former Republican or former Democrat now independent uh, but but conservative leaning person? Does he need to have a woman on that ticket in order to uh, to again balance that? Like I said, this, the polls are are awful. Um, like I said, middle class yeah. women are are disgusted uh, whenever they see and on all of this this salaciousness that's coming out too from the uh, you know from the uh, the lawsuit that he just uh, or the civil suit that he was just found liable in, and there's going to be more of those kinds of things coming. Some 27 women lining up to, uh, you know, accuse him of sexual misconduct and other things. And I'm not saying any of them are true. I don't believe they are because this is what they did to Kavanaugh, and I don't believe that nonsense uh, 25 years later. But being, you know, that being what it is, um, women are going to be a problem for him. Do you think he has to go woman for his number two slot? I don't think he has to, but I think it's something you that he needs should. to be. I, I think I, I don't even know if he should, but I think it's something that has to be given a lot of consideration for all the reasons you mentioned, which were very good recitation of the, of the reasons. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that um, Trump will make that decision. And I, the thing is, who does he go with? Is it a Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley is very uninspiring to me personally. I just, same, you know, she may be here. perfectly fine, but it, she doesn't excite me. And I'm not sure that she moves the needle in the direction that you were just discussing. Um, who else is there? I, I don't know. I don't know who that person is out there, but I think it's something he needs to seriously consider. Or maybe, you know, someone like a Tim Scott who is not rough around the edges and I think would appeal to a female base, but I don't think that that would draw in enough females 
put this way, based on the polls that we see right now, it is not necessary for Trump to have a female running mate to defeat Biden. They're going to throw everything they can at Trump. We know that. They're going to call him all kinds of names and make up all kinds of things about him. The media is going to be the press secretary for the entire uh, you know, Biden presidential candidacy. Yeah. But even with that, I think Trump can prevail. But we can't take, as I've said, I say it again, no risks. We must win in 2024. And that means Trump has to seriously consider what, you, what you've just posited. That is, get the best female possible. And if the polling shows that you can win with a Tim Scott, fine, let's go with Tim Scott instead. But I do think that serious consideration needs to come uh, be paid to a female candidate. Yeah, I think that's something that would be very, very uh, important, in my opinion. I, I, I'll almost go ahead and say he should. He, he's either going to need a minority male like Tim Scott or or a female, because you, as you pointed out, you know, you have to have at least eighty eight percent, or the Dems have to have at least eighty eight percent. I think you said of the uh, of the black vote to win, and uh, Donald Trump needs to, or whomever needs to take, obviously a significant number of those, uh, hopefully more than the twelve percent. And then, like I said, the female vote, the female his approval rating among females is just. Uh, is, is an issue. Um, and, and I'll tell you this, as somebody who is going to support the nominee with all of the passion and energy I can muster, and I think it's going to be Donald Trump, even though I don't necessarily think it should be, I definitely think it's going to be, I want him to win, as you pointed out, and in order to win, I think he's going to have to make that step. He's going to have to find the yeah. right woman for the job, uh, because uh, he's, or, or or minority male, but he, but I think a woman would probably maybe... I'll tell you who would, who would, who would uh, probably fill you, in two blanks. I know what you're um, going to say, I think, but go ahead. Lieutenant Governor Sears, I think, would be oh, an amazing Sears, yeah. choice. You better believe it, because she's not just female, but she's black, too. And boy, is she phenomenal. She, I mean, she is a black female Donald Trump in many respects. <laughs> she does not suffer fools gladly, and I think she would give him a real boost. I really do. I love that woman. Ever since I first saw her burst onto the national scene, and I agree with you, she would be great. But I think more likely, uh, somebody like Carrie Lake. Uh, not she doesn't check the black part off, obviously, but she's a woman and she is uh, she is all in for MAGA. She is loved and adored by by the Trump base. And I think that might fire people up, too. Maybe. <laughs> There's no better color man in the league. Uh, that's there's my man. <laughs> He's the, well, no, that wasn't the line. Was. He's not the best color man in the league for nothing. Uh, thank you, Monty. All right, Peter Christianow, great stuff, my friend, always. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Bob. You got it. 1054 Always Right Radio. I was trying to channel my euchre there, my inner Bob euchre. Uh, on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. 
you and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Final hour of this Tuesday broadcast is underway now. Ten minutes after 11 o'clock. Really appreciate you being here. Really appreciate my guests this morning as well. Peter Kirstenau was phenomenal, as he always is. Dave Seminara uh, gave us a great conversation about uh, the books that are being quote-unquote banned, which, of course, they are not. They're just being removed from places where they're inappropriate, such as uh, uh, school shelves. Uh, if you missed either one of those interviews, check them out on the webpage, whkradio.com. You can get that about an hour after the show, a little, a little after 1 o'clock. They'll be available to you, as will the rest of the podcast. So uh, this hour is yours, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. You tell me what you would like to talk about, and we will do it. However, I am going to br- remind you of something that I talked about in the, uh, in the open of the show because I think this is important. As we get closer and closer to the month of groom, which follows May, it is before July. That's the new vernacular, by the way. January, February, March, April, May, groom, July, August, September, October, November, December. They're pushing like never before, not just in private corporations, not just in schools, but now apparently in our government offices, including the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. This was brought to my attention yesterday. This is something that I had heard was going to happen. I had some left-wing caller call me and tell me this is all a lie, this is all made up, but it's here, and I think it is worth our attention. And I'm speaking of the... Um, event coming up on Groom the, the 11th, Sunday Groom 11th from noon to 3. It's called the Show Your Colors Plus Family-Friendly Fundraiser to support the Colors Plus Youth Center uh, to apparently, well, continue to groom children. It's being sponsored as a Pride Fest Um, which will feature family-friendly drag. Of course, there is no such thing. Um, And sexual health services to kids aged 13 and older without parental or uh, guardian uh, consent or even knowledge. This is happening in uh, Fairview Park at the Colors Plus Youth Center there. And it's being sponsored by the following university hospitals the smuckers corporation st paul's episcopal church and the cleveland clinic as well as the cuyahoga county board of health and that's where we get into a new area this is a new realm the county board of health Now, because they are the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, I'm going to go ahead and assume that they get their funding from the Cuyahoga County General Fund. And I know that the Cuyahoga County General Fund is stocked with dollars from your taxes. They're using your money to promote and to pervert, quite frankly, uh, children with with this bizarre event that is going to essentially allow them the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, to give what they are calling 
reproductive and sexual health confidential care to children aged 13 and older without a parent or guardian. That's what makes this a game changer for many. The other drag, the uh, the grooming drag shows and the grooming uh, uh, um, uh, efforts by the LGBTQ in schools, that's what makes this one a little bit different. We'll have some amazing and fun family games, reads the promotional flyer. Awesome raffle baskets and our annual pride walk. Paint a tote with your favorite pride flag. And apparently there's more than one pride flag. Apparently there's a few dozen of them because of all of the different types of things of which one can be proud. Uh, proud about the type of person or thing that they like to sleep with and have sex with. Proud of the certain type of animal, human or otherwise, that they identify as. Or the non-human, non, uh, uh, non-binary individuals. All of the different bizarre genders, they're saying there's a separate bla- uh, flag. Uh, genders and sexual orientations, there's a separate flag for now. Listen to a story at Drag Storytime and celebrate our community's wonderful people and families. Get your tickets here, reads the flyer. And again, it's going to be on Groom 11th at uh, from noon to 3 in Fairview Park. And it is sponsored by uh, the aforementioned, include, including the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. The Board of Health message says, quote, Our reproductive health clinic is proud to serve all people. What is a reproductive health clinic? That's exactly what it sounds like. Reproductive health is supposed to be to make people healthy, not necessarily to kill people, which they do in the abortion side of things, more specifically to sterilize young children through reproductive surgery replacement. In other words, converting from male to female or female to male or trying to do so, which of course is an impossibility anyway. Uh, It sterilizes the individual. No male who undergoes reproductive health surgery to become a female will ever be able to father a child. No female who undergoes reproductive uh, uh, surgery, health surgery, is ever ever going to be able to carry a child. They get sterilized when they go through this stuff. And they're willing to do this. For the age of 13 and over, we appreciate the diversity of human beings, says your Cuyahoga County uh, Reproductive Health Clinic, and we do not discriminate based on blah, blah, blah. Call this number and email this nurse line to make an appointment. The CCBH, Cuyahoga County Board of Health Reproductive and Sexual Health Clinic, provides confidential care and services to anyone over the age of 13 without a parent or guardian. Services using insurance or a sliding scale fee based on your income, no one will be denied care due to inability to pay. So in other words, kids who don't have any money and who don't want mom and dad to know so they can't use their insurance don't have to pay. So if I'm reading this right, Cuyahoga County's Board of Health approves of providing gender-changing care, what they would call gender-affirming care, from the providing of drugs such as hormone blockers and drugs that chemically castrate people and then eventually on their way to full bodily mutilation surgeries, they'll provide that to children without parental consent and they won't charge them for it. They'll do it for free. Tell me again how this isn't grooming. Tell me again how this is not indoctrinating. Tell me again how this is not child abuse.
But this is going on, and it's going on with the support of, the financial uh, and promotional support of University Hospital, St. Paul's, Episcopal Church, Cleveland Clinic, the Smuckers Company, and the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Do with that what you will. I can tell you what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to raise holy hell. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110 are the numbers. Uh, Sally is in Bria. Sally, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, the Show Your Colors event is reprehensible and even unthinkable and should be illegal. I can't believe they can classify it as health care when they totally negate parental rights. But the reason I called, I cried when I heard how the shameful FBI bureaucrats crushed and persecuted the whistleblowers who were doing their patriotic duty. I'm glad that there is a fund to help these hero whistleblowers, and I hope their pensions can eventually be restored with pressures from Republicans. Kudos to Jim Jordan and other members of Congress for publicly exposing the dastardly deeds in the hearings. It seems the more we learn about the widespread corruption, the worse it gets. I also appreciate all you do, too, to inform us with interviews with experts like Heather O'Donnell and Peter Kirstenauer and others. Thanks so much, Bob. Well, thank you, Sally. I appreciate the call. And, yeah, I'll tell you what, those... um... Those whistleblowers, the way they were treated, I've spent a great deal of time on the, uh, and thank you, Sally, for the call. Um, I spent a great deal of time uh, talking about this last week when I first heard their stories because they were very emotional. Some of them actually choked up a little bit as they were talking about the things that were done to them, their families, their children. One of them had a two-week-old baby when they were kicked out, essentially transferred from one location to another, and then when they got there, told you're under suspension, you're not being paid. Uh, so all of their goods, all of their, their home, you know, their furnishings and so forth, the clothing for the kids that were being transferred and trans, uh, uh, transported to the uh, new location, they were not allowed to have access to. These people were basically homeless. They described themselves as destitute. Uh, and the worst part about it is the FBI, again, through one of their weird rules, um, denied these men the opportunity to take other jobs. They said, we're not paying you. You're under suspension without pay, but you can't take another job. You were denying you the right to earn an income in the United States of America. The idea that that's even remotely legal or constitutional, for crying out loud, that a, that a, that a, that a, I don't care if it's a federal agency or if it's a donut shop, that when you are fired or suspended without pay, that you have to get the place that suspended you without pay's permission to take another job somewhere. The idea that that could be done to people, is that's news to me. And it's news to all Americans who watched those hearings uh, last week with the whistleblowers. But now the question is, is what is going to be done about it? What is going to be done to hold the FBI accountable for what they have done to these whistleblowers who simply said, we can't do this to the American people? It's against the oath we took to support, to protect and preserve our Constitution. It's against everything that we believe in. And so they blow the whistle on them, and the FBI says, oh, yeah? Have a, have a, have a load of this. Have a load of homelessness. Have a load of no income. Have a load of your family on the streets relying on the care of strangers and charitable uh, donations. Have, have some of that. That's what the FBI did. That cannot be allowed to happen in a, in, a, in, a, in a free country, in any free country, much less the greatest country in the history of human civilization. 
the country that actually gives people the opportunity to provide for themselves and to grow and also to stand up with free speech and oppose and oppose the types of things that were being done to the American people by the weaponized FBI. These agents are heroes, and they are now treated like pariahs. Something has to be done. The FBI, I agree with, uh, with uh, Peter Kersenow. Kersenow said the FBI does need to be dismantled. Yes, we need the services that the FBI was built to provide. Obviously, the Federal Bureau of Investigation needs to exist in some capacity, but not its capacity, not a capacity that has been weaponized uh, against the people weaponized against the very people they swore their oaths to protect. So uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Sally. Thank you. Um, let's get Dan in Middleburg Heights on. Uh, Dan, you're on the air. Go right ahead, sir. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Dan. I'd like to make just two quick comments, if I may. One, yeah. politics, and the other one's on sports, with your conversation with uh, you know your guest earlier. <laughs> By all means, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, on the property tax that you're just talking about and everything, you know, in uh, Cuyahoga County, you know, with yeah. these schools, yeah. And all this is going on. Uh, I'm just, uh, I have been and I remain to be just outraged. I pay 85% of my property tax goes to Berea schools, okay? And I'm sure everybody else is in the same boat wherever you live in Cuyahoga County. 85% of my total property tax bill. And I'm getting this. I got porno and uh, LBGXYZ people doing what they're doing to children. It's just outrageous. Something has to be done because going way back to 99, the Ohio Supreme Court said that property taxes as constituted in Ohio are, are non unconstitutional, but nobody's ever done anything in the legislature for probably various political reasons. Yeah, there are 100% political reasons. There's no question about it. And I right. agree with you. Again, what is being done in these schools, and you are funding with your property taxes, and obviously county residents are funding the uh, County Board of Health as well. Yes. This kind of stuff is such a far cry from what we were told. We were, the, you know, the quote-unquote LGBTQ movement wanted, going all the way back to Obergefell with same-sex marriage, which is just leave us alone. Don't bother us. Don't, uh, don't bother us. We won't bother you. Don't come down on us. Don't discriminate against us. And now it's not that at all. Now we are coming after you and making you affirm us, making you respect us, making you identify us as what we want to be, and so forth. It is absolutely the, you know, the tail is wagging the dog. This tiny minority of people are, are declaring to the majority how things will be run. And damn it, they're winning. Well, and once again, this property tax, it's just a, it's, it's a sting, a scam on the people. I mean, I'm just one guy, you know. But 85% goes to these schools. And like you said earlier in your program, Cuyahoga County's sitting on a whole pile of taxes to pay for this kind of stuff. And it's got to stop, but people 100%. have to rise up, not just one guy, you know. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. Uh, so I what was your sports, sports comment? Real quick? Yeah, but yeah, fire up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Get back. I know I've talked to you once or twice, and I, I, I know you're, I don't know, 50-ish or whatever and all that, but when you start talking about all-time great players and everything – the, the rules have changed so much in football since 65, and I'm particularly talking about uh, I'm a Jim Brown guy. So every game that the guy played, okay, I had my dad, I had season tickets, and I saw all his games, okay, on television. Right. right. So I know what I'm talking about here. He played in only tw- first four years, 12 games, and then 14 his last five years. 
the other people going from the 70s forward are all playing 16 games. So even Jim Brown, when he was alive, said now it's 17. Total La- yardage. Last year was the first year they had 17. Well, 17. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So, so Emmett Smith. I've already done the figures on this. Like Emmett Smith gained 18,000 yards. He's the career leader. If you took Jim Brown's average for nine years, okay, he would have ended up with 21,000 yards if he wouldn't have quit when he was 29. Yeah, well, you know, and and that's that's the reality of it. All records to me are skewed because of that, because of things like number of games played. Particular though, yeah, yeah, his his in particular. But but, but the other, hold on, hold on, hold on. But the other thing, the other thing, when Jim Brown did decide to hang out after nine years, he had to know that sooner or later, even if the game stayed fourteen, you know, somebody's going to play ten, eleven, twelve years and ultimately break his record. I wish he would have played for thirteen years. You know, if you'd have played, you know, 12, 13, 14 years like some of these guys did and put those numbers out of reach, you know, even with the 16-game schedules, uh, it would have been something. But anyway, go ahead. What, what was your other point? But 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 Emmett Smith, for, for instance, his total year average was 4.3, which is not Hall of Famish per se, okay? Jim Brown still holds the NFL record at 5.23 yards per carry. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, also, no, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. His his accomplishments are legendary, and of course, I was too young to watch him because uh, sure. I was born. Well, that's not your fault. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't get to. I get a chance to see a little bit of old black and white video, but not enough. But I've seen enough to know that when people say he's the greatest running back ever, they're not. They're not messing around. Here's one other point, though: the number of teams in the league. When Brown was playing those years, there was only 14 teams. When you increase the league, especially with the merger, to 32. All those teams and players in the AFL in 67 were all cut by NFL teams. So the average player that Brown was playing against, by definition, is much higher because the other people of the other, remember, 14 versus 32 teams. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. 11.34, we got time for a few more phone calls before we ask Bill O'Reilly to carry us to the top of the hour, which he will do. Then you'll get Charlie Kirk. Then you'll get Dennis Prager. And then you'll get Sib- uh, 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 Bob France. Yeah, doing double duty today. I'll be in for Sebastian Gorka from 3 to 6. So if you missed anything important today, maybe I'll give you some of that and a little bit of new stuff this afternoon from 3 until 6. Then you'll get you some Secular Live and, of course, Officer Tatum. So stay here. If you've got the radio on, there's no reason to have it on anything else. 216-901-0945 is our number. Let's go to Tim in Chesterland. Tim, welcome to the show. Good morning, Bob. I'm calling regarding the 87,000 IRS characters that Joe Biden has uh, uh, hired. I called my congressman's office a couple of weeks ago to ask if indeed they've been hired or have they not yet been hired. And I was told that they they actually have been hired. And I remember uh, maybe going back to around the first of the year or so that our illustrious uh, congressmen were telling us that they would not fund those 87,000 IRS goons. And I haven't heard anything uh, one way or the other if that's the case. I've called my congressman office again to ask the question, and they don't have an answer. So I'm very concerned that these characters, if they are turned loose, in addition to Biden Biden, uh, telling us that it was announced maybe within the last three or four weeks by Biden himself on a news broadcast 
that he is, has given these 87,000 goons the authority to use lethal force against us. They this have. is very frightening, and we're not talking much about it. And Something's got to be done to stop this before it gets started. Well, let me respond to some of that. The, the, the most important part being the last part where you said they've been uh, allowed to use lethal force. It's not necessarily written that way, but they have been armed. Uh, IRS agents are now going to be able to carry armed, carry weapons. They say, the argument goes, in the event that they come to audit somebody and somebody is so livid over their tax bill or what's happening that they actually take it out on the agents and the agents have to protect themselves. That's what they say. So I want to clarify that part. As far as what Congress did, Congress did what they said they were going to do. January 9th, literally right after uh, uh, they, you know, the new uh, Congress took over, uh, they, they passed um, a bill fund, uh, uh, that, that defunded the 87,000 agents. They, they passed oh, the bill they saying we will not. Yes, but that's only the house that's only the house as you know and we're in a split we're in a split congress now the senate right. you know as a, as a very slim uh, democrat majority and so they of course did not pass that so it didn't go to bill to a joe biden so so the house did what they could but that's all they can do jim jordan and all of the others kevin mccarthy and all of the others uh you know who who took over the republican majority said they would absolutely do that but uh, they can't make it stick because of the Senate and because Joe Biden would veto it anyway. So I, I don't think they have been hired yet because according to the plan that they rolled out, it was going to be phased in over two or three years, some, you know, almost 30,000 per year. Uh, they also say that they're not all going to be agents going after audits. They're going to be working in a variety of, uh, uh, areas of the, of the IRS. But the reality is, just to answer your, your question, the, the 87,000 have not all been hired, but it's in progress. The Congress, the Republicans in Congress did what they said they would do, and they passed a, a, a bill that would defund that. But, of course, it goes forward because uh, we, don't have a, we don't have an agreement yet, and the Democrats in the Senate are never going to go for it. One other question, Bob. I am very concerned also that our illustrious Republican side of the Congress are doing absolutely nothing to stop Biden from doing anything more. Why can't they take legal action against him if they don't have enough to impeach this character? This is extremely concerning. If we have to wait until the November elections, we're not going to have any country left to, 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 yeah, to try well, and save. Well, you're right. We do have to wait to the elections because this is where Barack Obama was right. Elections have consequences. And when we lose an election the way we did or have it stolen from us, which I think is what really happened in 2020, the reality reality is uh, we're facing those consequences right now. We can't just go to court and sue to stop Joe Biden from doing this or that unless he is doing something that is blatantly unconstitutional, such as forgiving student loan debt unilaterally by executive order. They went to court and got a, got a stay on that. You can't do that because it is something that the president cannot do. But when it comes to any of the other things that you know he is putting forward as policy, uh, Congress either has to pass laws uh, opposing that or affirming that. Or um, or wait until you get a better majority. Wait until you get a, you know the next election and you get a, a a Senate majority to go along with your House majority, and then you can have a little bit of a shot. And I think the, the Congress has sole authority of our border, and he has violated that. So that's that's a, an act of treason, the way I see it. 
Well, the Congress doesn't have actually authority over the border. The border is is defined, uh, you know, as as being sovereign, and and that is constitutional. But the executive branch, the president, doesn't have any more authority than the Congress does to essentially open it. He does have a responsibility to protect and preserve the homeland of the United States, and I agree with you. He ought to be able to be impeached. In fact, Marjorie Taylor Greene, nobody's taking her very seriously, but Marjorie Taylor Greene introduced articles of impeachment against Joe Biden specifically because of the border just last week. So impeachment proceedings could happen again. It would die in the Senate, just like it did when they impeached Trump, and the the Senate uh, you know, was not going to convict and remove him from office. That would happen here. So we're stuck with Biden. Uh, unless something you know happens with his health, we're stuck with him at least until 2024. All right. how, about, how about him selling off our strategic oil reserves to communist China? That, that's another act of treason. In my yeah. opinion, he's aiding and abetting an enemy. Well, not only not only did he, uh, and thank you for the call. I got to run here, Tim. Thank you for the uh, the message. Not only did he um, did he deplete our strategic petroleum reserves, he wants to refill it now or begin refilling it at prices that are exorbitant compared to what they were when we had them filled in the first place. We're going to take a net loss of billions of dollars to replenish the strategic petroleum reserve because Biden stripped them. Those reserves were created and were added to when prices were good on the international oil market from OPEC and, and, and from our own production. You know, we were we were in, in great shape there. But now that the prices are through the roof internationally because of wars, things like the Ukrainian war with Russia, or rather the Russian war on Ukraine, uh, but now that all of these other things are happening, we're going to refill and replenish those reserves at a massive loss to the american people but that, again that's that's what happens in a you know in a, in a biden economy and in a biden administration joe is in westlake joe thanks for your patience fire away good morning bob you brought up a critical point it's simply outrageous that the schools are carrying this out regarding the gender brainwashing and it's really puzzling how could such a small group of people the lgbt's push this i believe the answer is that as Angela Codevilla described in his book, The Ruling Class, three groups of power players in the U.S. have evolved to kind of work together over the last 50 years. And those are the Marxist university academics, the corporations, and the bureaucrats. The evolution of how this crazy gender thing came about is, is best explained in the book Cynical Theories by James Lindsay. But the overall picture of what's going on, of how this, how our country was destroyed, I think it's best explained in a book called Crisis and Leviathan by Robert Higgs, which is about the ratchet effect, how the government keeps overreaching, uh, doesn't solve a problem, and then re- overreaches again, and it's all driven by the Federal Reserve. What's the answer? We need gold and silver as money, and we need nullification at the state level. By the way, Jonathan Broadbent's wife she's got a great blog and she her blog has some uh entries on some needed current ohio laws to go in that direction thanks thank you for the call i appreciate it and thanks for the tip i'll uh, have to ask uh, about uh, jonathan's uh, wife's uh, uh, blog i have not seen that before i talk to jonathan on a fairly regular basis uh but uh, i will definitely find out about that thank you for the tip um milton in cleveland is next milton good morning go right ahead uh good morning bob I love you, and you do a great job. But you know what? I am very worried. It's almost six months has gone by 
We have all this information about Hunter Biden. We have the the, the worst, the most egregious thing is the is the open. I think that McCarthy is the sense of urgency by McCarthy is very conspicuous by its absence. Why don't we start something? Why can't we get a trial? They make trials on Trump every day. And if there's not enough money, if you don't have enough money, we would gladly send in the money. We could get a national campaign for the trial. I'd send money right away. Can't we get something started? Well, I'll That's tell you what, right. Milton, I pre- thank you for the call and thank you for your passion. And, uh, and yeah, I think something is going to have to be started. And you know what? If we're not getting it started by the people we sent to Washington to speak for us, we'll have to speak to them and get them to do what we want. Thank you so much for the call. Thanks to everybody for being a part of the show today. I'm back again at 3 o'clock in for Dr. Sebastian Gorka. I'll talk to you then. Have a great day. Bye-bye.